bitches bad and bullshit. Welcome to the Bad and Bitchy Podcast. I'm Erin. I'm Erica. And I'm Amy. Guys, I missed you. Aw, we missed Aww. you too. I was on vacation. How was Hamilton? Um, it was my second time seeing it, and it was just <laughs> as amazing as the first time. Hashtag humble brag. Um, <laughs> Different cat. How did you get these tickets? Honestly, <laughs> we bought them in August. <laughs> yeah, that checks, that checks out. That checks out. And different cast than the last you time you August, saw it? Or? August last year. Right? I have August of 2017. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. Um, it was... So this is... We d- debated the um, about the cast, and it turns out there were like three or four cast members who were the same as the one we saw in, August, oh, cool. uh, yeah. in February 2017. Yeah. So that was kind of cool. Just because I think about like the grueling schedule oh of my a gosh, Broadway it's actor. like unreal. I can't see a, a like a Broadway show or, or like every time I've been, which is only a handful of times, I'm just like spend the whole time imagining their lives off like the, like. Did you? <laughs> I'm see, just like it's so overwhelming. Did you see the New York Times video about the Broadway School? No. So it's like they have, I guess, the Broadway union or whatever brought bought That's this like yeah. building yeah and it's where they re- uh, rehearsed all of the different shows oh. on different floors fuck um, that's cool so but so like they all come to work at like 9 yeah, or yeah. 9 30 and they leave at like 7 or 8 oh my god yeah um, it is and they grilling. just work all day and, yeah but it's kind of cool because you get the different show uh casts getting to intermingle yeah, and yeah. like talk and like yeah. talk about their craft and like become friends and create a community totally totally so uh, that's the fantasy I had envisioned, but didn't know it was real. That's yeah. so cool. <laughs> and uh, I went to a David Bowie exhibit. Oh, yeah. The Brooklyn Museum. Yeah, yeah. Which is very cool. I've never been to the Brooklyn Museum. Um, it was my first time, yeah. too. It looked really cool. We just went to the David Bowie exhibit, which was awesome. But like where it was, you kind of had to walk through the rest of the gallery. So yeah. it was kind of cool to see some of the other things that they cool. had showing. I'd have showing. to check that out next time. Yeah. So it was like stuff from Bowie shows and... It was diary entries, it was costumes, it was album covers, single covers, um, music videos, and it was all done by Bluetooth. You had headphones. Cool. So it was like music and interviews. So you're walking through it and it's like just like sensory, like every level of like things are happening. That's really neat. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. That um, it's like you said, it's like a sensory rich environment and and. I'm not sure the way that it lays out, but I mean, to, to get that kind of complete interaction with um, an exhibit and with somebody so important in pop culture is really, really cool. Mm-hmm. I find the museums even like I follow some museums on Twitter and stuff and they are killing it. Like some of them are mm-hmm. really killing it. I think, yeah, funny. if you use technology in yeah. the right way too, like yeah. you can end up curating like a like far more engaging experience than the traditional way of walking through a museum and having to read or, or be guided. And Well, and the interesting uh, thing is that before you were allowed in the exhibit, they said, is your phone either turned off or turned into airplane mode? Mm. Because the transmission between the your Bluetooth on your yeah, phone and the, and the Bluetooth, Bluetooth they've the he- given you in yeah. the headphones was going to fuck it up. So you couldn't take any pictures uh, so it was nice to just be able to I, look that's at things better yeah and experience it 
Maybe um, they lie to you. They're just fucking without, with you so you guys wouldn't be distracted right. on your phone. <laughs> without people like standing there for a while, like so it's long, taking the perfect totally. picture and posing. and yeah, Totally. Yeah. So uh, wicked. How's your eyes this week? Um, really busy. You were on CBC. I was. I was on CBC uh, Ottawa morning yesterday. And we were talking about the Gl- Donald Glover video. Mm-hmm. And I got to say, I was I was kind of, Im- I had to say to them, I was like, I'm kind of impressed that you're talking about this, like on Ottawa morning. Yeah. And well, they had, um, yeah. they did a disc panel on it on the current, like Monday, that was really well received on social media. So I feel like now, like CBC, mm-hmm. like really wants, they've like gotten good feedback. And yeah. like, I think they've realized that there's not like a singular view on like what like a black artist is putting out. And they're like, wait a second, we can have like multiple opinions on this thing instead of just like, you know. Well, I managed to wake people up with the words, you know, (laughs) white gays and minstrel show. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. We expect nothing less. Yeah, I don't know that anyone said that on the current. I feel like if I didn't, I'm like, the, the other thing, too, is that the guy I was with, Jamal, and I'm going to, he's like Ottawa's resident poet. Mm. Yeah. And apparently like he's the first like Ottawa resident poet in like yeah. 30 years. Oh, yes. I've yeah. heard of him. Yeah. Super cool. It sounds I like a great that. interview, though. Everyone should definitely check that out. Jamal Jackson Rogers. He goes by just, he goes by the stage name, just Jamal the poet. Mm. And so he's the first poet laureate for Ottawa in 30 years. Mm. So he kind of started talking about, um, I think they first started off with like the violence of the video. And, you know, if, if we were shocked and we were both like, um, no, (laughs) we were not shocked. Um, but, uh, so he kind of took it in a certain direction. I was like, good. Yay. So I kind of, you know, put my two cents in and, you know, came up with interesting conversation. <laughs> Amy, what's what's new? Nothing. Anything, anything notable? <laughs> Nothing really. It's just been like a grind of a week. And yeah. Just, yeah. It's weekend. It's nice out. I am so feel like this thrilled. is your wheelhouse. Uh, this is it. This is when I thrive. <laughs> I like, watch out. You see me biking around, I'm sure. Uh, um, I would just like to point out that I just noticed that in our our show notes for the episode, um, it says TWIIF for this week in feminism, <laughs> and I was trying to think of what that could possibly stand for. Oh yeah, TWIF. <laughs> anyway, Twif. that's this, what we should call it. This week in intersectional feminism. Uh, oh, what? well done. <laughs> Yes. You, you did write something for the Beaverton this week, didn't you? <laughs> I did, yeah. Yes. What was it called? Um, well, I uh, I wrote like a mock uh, casting sheet for uh, Doug Ford's uh, supporters out in the streets that they uh, like actually in real life hired people, which uh, was pretty funny. I mean, it mocks itself, but uh, we got a few good chaps in there, so... <laughs> Our exclusive call sheet of the uh, Doug Ford uh, Ford Nation cast members. Oh goodness! Yeah. Um, anyway, so this week in feminism, let's get into it. So it turns out that the Toronto Police monitored the activities of Black Lives Matters protesters in 2016, and we know this because the CBC obtained documents from the Toronto Police Services via an access to information request. The emails uh, from 
uh, with from within the Toronto Police Services were during the time when Black Lives Matter was camped outside the police headquarters following a demonstration in the spring of 2016. The police monitored the social media of Black Lives Matter, so the actual account, Black Lives Matter Toronto, and even went as far to monitor the specific writings, comments, and social media posts of activist Desmond Cole. One of the emails re- from Detective Scott Whitmore uh, reads, quote, Desmond Cole is on 1010 radio right now talking about police shootings. Nothing new about, about his tone or rhetoric. Superintendent Bill Needles, who oversees the police force's public order unit, said that the information obtained by the CBC in Toronto was similar to information that the Toronto Police Services gathers on demonstrations of all sizes and political stripes. He says, quote, there's always that potential that something may arise that may require an enhanced response from the Toronto Police. For Desmond Cole, however, the documents show that the police are more concerned about their public image than actually fixing officers' awful conduct and are worried about activists drawing unwanted attention to their behavior. So this has been a big issue this week, Mm -hmm. but it also hasn't blown up in the same way that you would have expected it to. Like, I saw it, and maybe I just follow a lot of American news and a lot of American reporters on Twitter, but, like, it didn't seem like this really got through to the public in the same way that it I would have expected it to yeah I think it's hard to if absolutely I saw Desmond Cole tweet about it and that's like okay not surprised which is also what he was like don't don't at me and say you're not like that you're surprised by this you know better (laughs) um and then like I didn't hear anyone talk about it so yeah I'm kind of miffed as to why I mean I can speculate to say that it's probably because for for activist types this is old news we know that we're monitored um we know that like you know folks who are uh, involved in protests around the pipelines. Um, either indigenous folks, environmental activists are constantly monitored. They're all on watch lists. Like there is like, so people in the activist community on many different issues, like are just very hypersensitive to the, like sensitive to like an awareness of this, but probably are not surprised. And for everyone else outside that, I mean, do you know how many people think that like Black Lives Matter Toronto like deserves to be monitored? <laughs> like, I mean, Desmond Cole was, um, you know, always like peaceful in his interactions, but like gets dragged out of like the police station just like for asking questions as a journalist and like or, 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 or as town an act- or sitting in the town hall and like is seen as obstructionist and is dragged out like that is super fucked up and every citizen should be upset about that. But I think a lot of people think that Black Lives Matter like does like has it coming kind of a thing that they bring this on themselves by being a thorn in the side of the police service i have thoughts please shocking (laughs) (laughs) i um first of all number one uh canadian in canada canada loves authority and loves the power structure of that authority it's it's very different from the United States culturally in that way. Second of all, Desmond Cole is a troublemaker to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. You're right. He is peaceful in the way he demonstrates, but peaceful doesn't mean nice. No, of course not. Absolutely that's, not. That's the thing. Yeah. It doesn't mean cordial. It doesn't mean, you know, um, 
it, it, it means that he doesn't resort to violence in terms of, or, or, or physical aggression, for example. But, um, so that's another reason. Uh, third is, it's Black Lives Matter, so, you know, white people, most white people think it's some terrorist organization that kills people in the name of, you know, I don't know, um, Black Muhammad or something. <laughs> I, I really don't know. It's true. That is sort of the, like, fanaticism with rich people well, talk about it. I, it's remember, like I remember Neil McDonald talking about how ugh. he, yeah, uh, yeah I agree, <laughs> um, talking about, you know, how dare Black Lives Matter. They sat in, <laughs> they sat in the street. Yeah. That's all they did. They stopped the parade. And people lost their fucking minds. Yeah. You're and talking I, about Pride, Toronto I'm Pride. About Toronto Pride which in was, 2016. I thought it was like so cool. Like, I, I thought like it was a great visual fun. demonstration. Super brave. Yeah. Oh my gosh. But completely, and then completely in the spirit of protest. Exactly. Yeah. It's protest is not meant to be nice and no. with, with, with lily white flowers and napkins. It is meant to disrupt. Yeah. That is the fucking point. It's supposed to be uncomfortable. Exactly. So so Black Lives Matter makes white people uncomfortable, and so does Desmond Cole. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of people will believe that there's some racist organization because that's what happens when black people decide that they want to fight for rights, is that they're racist. Okay. E anyway. Um and also, where are the free speech warriors on this <laughs> one? So I would like to know why Jonathan Kay <laughs> is specifically targeting Sharif Pradikar and everything she writes mm -hmm. and talks about how she doesn't know what she's talking about, how she's, you know, I'm not sure he called her racist. I'm not going to level that against her. But that's pretty much what he is constructing in terms of her work. I think it's, I, I, I think it's starting to be a little bit bullying. And to be honest, um, where is he? Where is he on the free? Where is Andrew Shear on this free speech issue? <laughs> this is a free speech issue. No, it is. Because as so you're saying, like, it's it, not about violence. No one's posing a threat. It's but and it's the people state. exercising. It is the yeah. state. It's the thing is, is that like for people who are free speech advocates, particularly on the right, it's free speech when it's convenient and serves them. It's oh, not of course. actual yeah. free speech. Of That's of they want to be able to express their opinions without fear of persecution. They want to retain the status quo. Yeah. And they use free speech as uh, um, a straw man argument to retain the status quo. But anyhow, any disruption happens, they are silent mm -hmm. i really i really would i don't know and the media too is the establishment media is silent and they're silent because they too want to uphold the status quo yep well and it's not just i want to just say like i'm sort of disheartened that it's um so yeah there's the hypocrisy on the right but i'm also not impressed with the absence of commentary from organizations like the Canadian Civil Liberties Association. Mm. Um, and I point. think they do. I mean, you know, they think they've like shared the article, but like, I think there needs to be a little bit more of that. And I think they cherry pick and they may have, they may intentionally sort of be avoiding this. I don't, you know, I don't know that that's a hundred percent the case, but this is, 
this is really in their real house that you have, you know, police services monitoring protest at like protesters or and also the social media accounts of activists who have not been tried. I mean, I think at one point uh, Desmond Cole was charged with um, was tra- was charged with trespassing and um I think he was successfully beat that charge because um, he was in a public space. I, th- I think that was the finding. I could be um, just going off memory, but you know, there's nothing, nothing that's been done by black life, black lives matter. That isn't in line with what the CLC advocates, um, CCLA advocates for in general um, in the way that they advocated for protesters at the G seven rallies, for example, and other things. Um, and it's not just, you know, it's not just Black Lives Matter. It's also First Nations activists, um, environmental activists. We know this. It, I mean, it, the whole 2010 G20 debacle that happened here, um, we should have been talking about that then. But Canada is a place where... Um, where the institutions are sacrosanct and it's really really annoying because what it means is that we don't have we don't exercise proper checks and balances on them i would also like to say that apparently south of the border um there is a secretive u.s surveillance effort to track so-called black identity extremists sorry what yeah yeah, so there's a guy, Rakeem Balogan, um, who was arrested by the FBI in December 2017, um, investigate, being investigated as a domestic terrorist, quote-unquote, and they had been monitoring, monitoring him for years, and he was arrested because his Facebook post criticized police. And that is um, that is the danger is that it doesn't just stop at surveillance. It actually goes on to being charged for exercising your right to free speech. And again, I ask, I ask, where are all these free speech? Oh, Jordan Peterson isn't on this one, is he? This, you know what I mean? I, I just the hypocrisy is just so laid bare in this sort of paradigm in this in this entire article that i i just i can't even so there there i am <laughs> i'm <Yeah>. pissed now <laughs> <laughs> yeah and like it goes kind of connects like to a column that our friend of the pod vahimo chama wrote about how there's no moment in which racialized people are safe from racial terror you mm-hmm. know because you can't even criticize a police online mm-hmm for very valid reasons without being persecuted Mm -hmm. and followed and charged with crimes. And you can't even exist Mm -hmm. in the real world Mm -hmm. without having the police called on you because you're having a nap in the common area of your dorm room, like at Yale or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Or even in Colorado when, when a white parent found two Native American men creepy for walking on a university tour group. Which was the strangest thing that one killed that me. I that like racialized terror that I heard of this week because like they were with a tour group. Yeah. 
Yeah. But they looked like they didn't belong. Yeah. That was the whole issue. And um, for this parent. Uh, so that's the thing. It, when we are in, it, you know, I, I find this very funny. And I'll say, like, not haha, but, you know. White people will, will say about immigrants and immigration, oh, why don't you integrate? Because we get fucking the police Be- called because on Because you won't let them. Yeah. Well, that's it. I mean, how, like, how much work would the university have to do to repair the damage of that, like, tour group to, yeah. like, make, you know, make folks feel like it's a safe space to attend that university? Like, what a huge detriment it is to, like, so many people and future like students that this woman committed this act. like that's it's it's actually hyper violent to je- to call the police without cause like that um i don't i don't think i don't think people fully understand the like scope of the damage that like was wrought just by that like you know a what would otherwise like maybe considered a simple phone call even bob marley's grandmother granddaughter yeah got the police called on her because um they didn't say they were rude to a neighbor because they didn't say hi so no it wasn't even say hi it was smile yeah Yeah. they didn't smile at the white people so the police sent seven police cars in a helicopter to arrest them but what's really strange to me about this whole thing is that so this was a situation where two black women yeah there was the police were calling these two black women leaving an airbnb with suitcases and the neighbor thought that they were robbing the, the apartment so who robs a house with suitcases For, first <laughs> in broad daylight first of all i mean kind of savvy but apparently all, you can't get away with it so don't try two, it these two women were there for who knows how many days and yeah. no one noticed them before yeah like this is not some sort of like oh neighborhood watch thing because if they were really concerned they would have called the cops when they first saw them moving in. Mm-hmm. But yeah. no, they did it when they felt that they were being encroached upon and inconvenienced. Yeah. So the police are here to help white people, especially I would like to point out that it's a lot of white women who mm. did this. Yeah, all these incidents all this yeah. week. Incidents and then that Denny's incident with the... Um, in Lethbridge. In Leth- is it in Lethbridge? Cranbrook? Yeah. Something yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah. Lethbridge, yeah. Um, not another white woman. Yeah. So very, I, very like odd. We're taking L's this, this week. So, <sighs> but you know, y'all, y'all have to look at yourselves, white women. I'm just saying, because this is why you get the pushback that you do and people call you racist. Well, and this is what, like a couple of weeks ago when we talked about that Barbara Kay um, column and she talked about how she was hoping that the Toronto van attack was actually <sighs> kind of, from a you know an islamic terrorist yeah but what would have been more interesting would have been her challenging her assumptions as to why she thought that so if you're a white woman and you're listening and you kind of see yourself in any of these women who are calling the cops on people of color because they're uncomfortable or they seem to be in danger ask yourself why you think that Mm -hmm. and ask like do an actual critical assessment be like okay like Mm -hmm. Am I uncomfortable because this person is in the space in which I occupy? Okay, fine. Then why? Am I physically in danger? Are they directing any sort of aggression towards me? Or are they just existing and living their life? Because if they're just living their life, then probably don't need to call the cops. 
That's why black joy is revolutionary. <laughs> Don't elaborate. I just like leave it hanging there. <laughs> we'll can piece we'll that together we'll for themselves. That <laughs> we'll end it there. Do we have anything else to add on that? <laughs> so our next topic is something that you two discussed last week or just building on it. Um, so this week, uh, federal NDP member of parliament, Christine Moore, was suspended from caucus following allegations of, I don't know what sexual impropriety, ethics violation, I don't know. Um, so basically, Christine Moore uh, was the MP who kind of told um, leadership and the NDP that there were some issues facing MP Aaron Weir and that she had told Aaron Weir that she was uncomfortable with being in the same room as him as a woman because of past behavior of his towards others, which launched the investigation, which led to the findings of a report, which led to him being kicked out of caucus. And now it has come to light that uh, Christine Moore um, has allegations against her so it turns out um glenn kirkland a former combat soldier in afghanistan um was in afghanistan when a during a taliban ambush in 2008 which killed three of his uh comrades and almost killed him um he experienced some very very severe injuries and even to this day, you know, shrapnel that he took in the attack sometimes makes its way to its skin surface. And so he testified in front of a House of Commons Standing Committee on Defense. Um, and Christine Moore is was one of the the members of the Standing Committee. So following the the committee, um, Christine Moore reached out to him, gave him her card and said, oh, you should come to her. You should come to my office to discuss this further. So he went, they had a few drinks and she pushed some alcohol on him despite him being on various Medication? uh, medications, yeah. including antidepressants, um, opioid painkillers, insulin, antibiotics, and so on and so forth. And then it led to her following him back to his hotel room they had sex he is very clear that the sex was consensual and that he didn't feel as though he was sexually assaulted and that kind of carried on a little bit where she became a much more aggressive in pursuing him and he was very much like no this is inappropriate or i'm not interested and mm-hmm. that's kind of where we are now like she's been suspended from caucus mm-hmm. pending a third party investigation mm-hmm. and so i think the question is is that or it seems like from this column, which is a weird place for this story to break, but you know, Neil McDonald's going to Neil McDonald. Yeah. And uh, the question is, well, it seems to be that, well, you know, Jagmeet Singh, the leader of the federal NDP, says he's going to believe survivors, but is he going to believe it when the allegations are against a woman? What a fucking bullshit angle. I could not believe that that's like, I mean, I can believe it because it's salacious to, to, do, sure. to do that. Um, but it, it's, it's really, um, it's really harmful to like perpetuate that idea, um, that there, you know, that we weren't, people are, are, I guess only there for women and yeah. that like, cause we, re- we recognize that yeah, like there have been times all genders me, can be sexually sure. assaulted and harassed for sure. And like, 
the Me Too, there have been a number of high profile Me Too moments involving like celebrity men. Yes. No Kevin one Spacey. is shot like, well, like Terry Crews yep. was assaulted, like Brendan Fraser, um, like in terms of like men being victims of assault yes, and people yeah. have rallied around them um, and shown them lots of support and solidarity. There's a, like, I don't know anyone out there who is who would like, you know, not <laughs> like you would say, well, just because you were, you know, and in those cases, I guess the aggressors were men. But I mean, still, like we we recognize that men can be victims of there, assault. There have been a couple um, instances of political women who have um, Democratic women who have um, been faced allegations of sexual harassment and not necessarily assault, but se- definitely sexual harassment mm-hmm. towards their own staffers. And who have withdrawn their names from consideration for races and primaries and what have you. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's it's a, like most men who like most assaults are committed by men. We like that's a statistical fact. Yeah. But we know that sexual assault and sexual violence are about power. And so it's not at all surprising that women in power would also like be part of that kind of violence um, and that kind of like exchange and leverage of power in this like grotesque way. So like stop with the like gotcha moments like, ah, we caught you. You actually don't believe survivors because the survivor is not the person that you think that they would be. Ha ha. Fuck you, Neil McDonald. It's not very insightful. I thought that Neil McDonald's piece was entirely a gotcha moment. Like, ha ha, you all are full of shit. Well, da, 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 da. And I was just like, nobody's nobody's saying anything, bro. Like, yeah. like, but the thing is, is that like, it is entirely a gotcha moment because they had like this, their relationship, like the sex was consensual. So what is the problem? Well, like, I don't know I, that like, it was consensual. That's the issue. But he said, like he said, is he doesn't think he was assaulted. Well, it's not exactly it was, what he I would says. say. I would say that to me, the bigger issue is that like, it's an ethical thing because she was a member of the committee on which he testified. So I think it's more of a conflict of interest. I think there's definitely an ethical issue, but um, I, I don't think we should expect people to identify as survivors for us to say that you were assaulted. Cause he's saying this was, this was wrong. I don't think I was fully consenting to exactly. I felt like I had no choice. He's, he, he sounded, says he felt that yeah, like I had I, no I, choice. I thought he sounded like somebody who's still trying to work it out in his mind. What, what exactly this is Mm -hmm. he just knows he doesn't want to be seen as a victim that's what i got and i also got that um if it's not it's her i i think it's harassment if you know but at the same time i also think it's sexual coercion totally I, i understood i understand and this goes back to the um um master of none what's his name Aziz, Aziz Ansari um, piece, right? Is that is that I'm not saying it was assault. Yeah, I agree. It was probably more a coercion. But it was a coercion. Yeah. Yeah. But we're not talking about that gray area because everybody wants to be an absolutist and say this is black or white. Right, it's not. Right. There, it's a continuum. And this is on that kind of continuum where, yes, it's not assault, but I really see it as that power dynamic working in such a way that he felt that he had to submit. Mm-hmm. And so that that pressure of submission 
means that there was some fuckery going on there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I will say the so Christine Moore spoke to the Globe and Mail. I don't know why the fuck she would do that. The whole issue and with Aaron Weir is that he spoke <laughs> out publicly. Like, have you learned nothing in the last 24 hours? Who well, are your handlers? But the thing is, the fuck let that happen. But the thing is, is that she hit all the tropes that men we, yeah. that we are familiar with. Mm. She ah. was like, oh, this doesn't line up with my re- recollection of events. Mm-hmm. And you'll see that like. Um, his story doesn't hold up. And I was like, <laughs> just don't say anything. Just say, you're going to give a comment when you're later. Yeah. Which is funny. Which is what she said. Initially, yeah. She said, I'll give you a comment later. And then I'm going to let the investigators on, do what they do. But talking. Then, yeah. And it was panicked. just word vomit out everywhere. Yeah. She it totally was it's terrible. I, I mean, for that reason alone, like this is the Aaron Weir thing. It's like, well, honestly, the way you guys handle yourselves right now is a plenty of reason for me to think you shouldn't be in a caucus or an elected position because you can't handle your shit. You have no discretion. It is you have messy. no like, messy. you know, you like have no sense of communicate, like how to communicate effectively to people. Um, I mean, I guess like people on Twitter are like, and, and I mean, this is the this is the other like in terms of hypocrisy first of all one neil mcdonald sounds like a twitter troll the way he like framed his entire article i didn't know he was such like uh crap i like, mean I'm just like, once I in a while know. he'll have a lucid thought but generally not so much um but you know everyone like in terms of what the twitter trolls are saying everyone's out there sort of still defending aaron weir Regardless of party, people are rallying at his side, saying he was, you know, done dirty, all this shit. And like Christy Moore, oh, she definitely did it. Same trolls are like, yep, she definitely did it. Like, go fuck yourselves. Like, you're not, you're not, like, we, that's the gendered, that's the gendered hypocrisy that Neil McDonald should be writing about is that people don't believe women no matter what they say on either side of anything. Well, they'll stand by a man regardless of what an investigation finds or regardless of their own shitty behavior being played out for them live on TV. They still won't believe it. Like we don't believe women at all. <laughs> like no matter oh, yeah, the yeah, matter yeah. Matter. side of it. Yeah. 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 For sure. It doesn't uh, matter what side. We don't believe women. We just don't believe them at all. Ever. <laughs> at all. I don't want to come. So this week, Spotify announced that it would be removing R. Kelly and other artists from playlists across the platform. This move is now part of their new hate content and hateful conduct policy, which basically means that the music can still play on the platform, but Spotify itself won't promote the music and make it easily accessible via things like playlists. So, guys, that means no more remix to Ignition on your party playlist. <laughs> I've been fighting with people over that one for years. Oh, God, but it's such people a People always request it, and I'm like, no, I'm in charge. We're not doing this. I have a couple other, like, hard lines. Yeah. That- um, so, as a refresher, R. Kelly is allegedly running a sex cult with young black women and girls, and other artists have either abuse their girlfriends or are actually white supremacist groups promoting hate. So I'm glad that it's on both sides. Um, So it was also announced, uh, I think this morning that Apple music and Pandora are also no longer promoting R Kelly. Um, And this was actually kind of predates uh, the announcement. I think it was more reported on this morning. Mm. Um, And yeah, so it's kind of good to see, but I guess the question is, is this enough? Like, what about 
men like Chris Brown, who was just back in the news this oh week with sexual assault allegations. Yeah. And like so many musicians are problematic, even, you know, people who are rock stars from like the 80s who are just icons, you know, mm-hmm. they're problematic, too. So where do we draw the line? Well, I think the sex cult thing is definitely a line. <laughs> <laughs> That's fucking <laughs> and r- extreme. And rape. Of, um, I mean, Brown. yeah. Yeah. And the fact is, he's been doing it for at least 25 years. R. Kelly. Oh, it's fucked. And to be honest, the reason R. Kelly got caught in this is because um, of the mute R. Kelly hashtag, really. Mm -hmm. Mute R. Kelly, yeah. And when when Shonda Rhimes, Kerry Washington, Mm. Gabrielle Union, uh, Tarana Burke, and Ava DuVernay start pushing that on yeah. twitter you're fucked because yeah. these are out. all powerful women now and god bless them i am just i'm so happy that i'm living in an era with powerful black women who can push mm. this shit mm-hmm. because if you like i remember seeing that hashtag and a week later yeah. spotify was like well bye Yeah, it was a pretty quick turnaround but it's just unfortunate because this has gone on for so long and i'm not like you know there are teams of people who work towards cracking down on on cults on human trafficking on things like that like i don't know why they haven't been able to like catch arrest and like deal with r kelly and like there is a lot i mean and a lot's been written in the last couple years like people have gone in depth on this and still it's not enough so i'm i'm really perplexed as to why um and arguably it's because people don't care about black women who are in harm's way in the same way that they would where he like you know running a cult with white where he's taking advantage of white women um and that that i mean that's super unfortunate but i don't know how much more by way of like evidence or at least like you know the hint of something like it's more than the hint of something this isn't again this isn't a rumor it's not a speculation we know and there have been some women who've who've managed to leave who've spoken to authorities Mm -hmm. and that's still not enough like what the fuck's going on the whole r kelly thing is just such a, a puzzle to me yeah i want to point out for all those free speech warriors out there, because I've been seeing this a lot on Twitter. Oh, it's a slippery slope. Where is the line? And I just want to say, R. Kelly, R. Kelly's music is being removed from playlists. Yeah, and you still have it. Repo- promoted on playlists. He's still on Spotify. Yeah, that's right. So is that enough? So, in other words, if I follow R. Kelly on Spotify, anytime he releases new music, I'm still going to get the download. Yes. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's so does he so, and it 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 does bear a larger question in terms of these um, mega sort of um, these mega apps, mega tech, uh, social media, social type um, corporations, and because of the access issue Mm -hmm. because they control access, how much responsibility do they have? Mm -hmm. And that's a different conversation. I'm not trying to bring that in here. Um, But at the end of the day, you're right. Is it enough? Should he be completely removed in terms of his music and accessing that music? 
I mean, people who want it can pay for his music on many different platforms or whatever or find ways to hear it. I think what's more important is whether Spotify is accepting to make money off his music, which I think is not cool. And the other piece is how are we thinking about R. Kelly and changing the con- like consciousness where it's like, I am so repulsed by R. Kelly. Even if I had the choice to listen to his music, I wouldn't. Like, I would, you know what, I, and that's the, that's the muting R. Kelly piece. It's not like, yeah. you know what I mean? It's not like, let's go out and burn records, but it's like, I want to change the consciousness of people to the point that, like, they have zero appetite for R. Kelly or Chris Brown or whoever yeah, else. like, I... When I make my playlists for my spin classes, I don't play R. Kelly. I don't mm-hmm. play Chris Brown. Mm-hmm. And like, I love the song Run It so much. <laughs> it is a jam. Yeah. But I refuse yeah. to play yeah. Chris Brown. And that's a decision that I've made. And one time I put a poll on my Instagram and I said, should I put play Chris Brown? And everyone said no. Yeah. There so, you go. That was like really nice to see. Yeah, that is cool. Um, that I wasn't alone in that. Yeah. And like Chris Brown actually has a record for assault. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's not just he yeah. is somehow like Teflon. Mm-hmm. We all saw the TMZ video, man. Like those pictures of yeah. Rihanna's face. Like, and for him to have like re- new rape allegations. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. for him to still be around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The thing is, this 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 Spotify thing is interesting because it sends a message to producers and other artists not to collaborate with him. It also sends yeah, an that's important true. Like, message to the music industry itself. And because the music industry is not the chief promoter mm-hmm. of its music anymore, right? Mm-hmm. So Sony, BMI, mm-hmm. Universal, all of them, they're not the direct marketing and access as much like as they were in previous right times yeah so apple music has taken over spotify has taken over the distribution of that music Mm -hmm. and so if they say you know what your artist is shit and Mm -hmm. this is why it's shit like i would love them to do this to who's the kesha producer there um, Doctor, Doctor, Doctor Luke. Luke, I would love them to do that to Doctor Luke. Yeah, fuck. To be honest, because that's going to send a message to the music industry that we're not going to protect these dudes. It's so tough, to man. Doctor Luke has like done everyone's know, like I fucking know, shit because Sony like let him exactly, fly under the radar Sony, for so long. You know why? Because Sony didn't take care of its shit yeah. back then. So yeah. now Spotify yeah. and Apple Music and all of them now have to take a stand and they're right. taking a stand out of the goodness of their heart. They're taking a stand. Cause it's not feasible it's anymore. It's not to, feasible yeah. anymore for them to market these people yeah. and then be complicit in there. Yeah. Especially when, as I said, Ava DuVernay <laughs> and you know, all you need. Ava's is, coming for you. Better watch Ava out. Is <laughs> word, word to Ava and Shonda Rhimes <laughs> and all of them. Yeah. Just to, and Carrie Washington too. Mm-hmm. And well, Gabrielle Union has been, mm-hmm. um, uh, talking about mm-hmm. gender violence yeah. for decades. Yeah. So good on, good on them for using their star power to raise this awareness and mm-hmm. to say no more. Um, so, but yeah, I really want to know. This is this is the next part: is how the music industry 
is going to is it going to start policing itself Hmm. and how Hmm. because i don't think they can ignore it anymore because their bottom line depends on it if those if that stuff is not being promoted on playlists then they're going to lose a whole chunk of revenue yeah so our last topic for this week in feminism is about a recent well that's not true at all So finally, a recent all-day event in L.A. County called Spring Into Love. What a dumb name. (laughs) It sounds like an R. Kelly song, actually. (laughs) Step in the name of love, spring into love. Um, The event was intended to get high schoolers more comfortable talking about sex. The hope is, is that an open dialogue will make them more likely to seek out condoms and STI testing and eventually reduce the spread of disease. Uh, the focus is on the stigma. Uh, sorry. The focus on stigma is just one of many ways LA County health officials are trying to think outside the box mm-hmm. as they struggle to curb rising STI rates. In just the past five years, the number of gonorrhea cases in Los Angeles County doubled, with minorities facing more than most. It's clear that the traditional ways of preventing disease, you know, patients seeking out a doctor regularly to get screened and treated have not been working. And L.A. County County recently created a Center for Health Equity to evaluate the way certain public health issues are intertwined with social factors such as income and education, as well as racial discrimination. So STI rates across the United States have been climbing for the past five years. More people were diagnosed with syphilis, chlamydia, or gonorrhea in 2016 than ever before. Holy fuck. Um, Some blame underfunding of STI prevention programs as well as falling condom usage. However, the picture is more complicated when it gets to the high STI rates among minorities. Gay and bisexual men make up the vast majority of new syphilis cases. And in L.A. County, syphilis rates among African-American women are six times higher than white women and three times higher than Latina women. Studies have found, for example, that people with HIV who had low levels of literacy were less likely to follow their treatment and that poorer Americans were more likely to engage in risky sexual behavior, thus increasing their risk of STIs. The U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention released a white paper in 2010 saying that the country could not close disparities in STI rates without addressing, quote, the interpersonal network, community, and societal influences of disease transmission and health, end quote. Poverty or a lack of opportunity may be forcing women to exchange sex for resources, leading to the spread of STIs. There also tends to be a mistrust of the medical system among African Americans, particularly women, making them reluctant to seek care, and certain neighborhoods may be excluded from access to health care because of geography or finances. Or politics. Well, yes. This is crazy. The, I, the rates are crazy, but to the last point, like, yeah, no shit. People don't yes. have poor people don't have doctors in yes. america yes i think what or was here su- to a certain degree yes i think what was interesting to me is that i hadn't really thought about like yes i think about public health more generally but i hadn't thought about like stis and sexual health in the mm. kind of an intersectional way before mm. i mean I, I like i think it's really um encouraging that this work is happening it's just unfortunate that people who are experts in this field are only now kind of piecing those things together 
um, because it may be surprising to lay people like you and I, but like for this sector sure. to be so behind yeah. and like getting these types of services or this type of public education to people who need it where there's like clearly like outbreaks that like an outbreak of syphilis like that syphilis is nothing to joke about no. like it actually it's is it's very... one of the more harmful yep. stis that you can get um and so like that's great cause for concern but again i mean it goes to how public institutions neglect um neglect poor people and neglect people of color and neglect lgbtq communities mm-hmm. um it's just like you know they create one size fits all policies and then don't and then do, you know don't follow up there's no evidence-based policy making there's no um there's no as we've talked about many times there's um no policy development that is like connected to how people actually would use a policy or um, would interact with it. It's not user oriented. It's not looked at from that experience experience perspective. Um, but like from an intel on an intellectual level and like from a like you know my socialist perspective on the world I'm like yeah of course people don't fucking have like aren't getting access to pre-screening or screening for STIs. Like you think people who like don't have you know, healthcare are able or, or again, yeah, the mistrust of the medical system. That's a really good point. I, I probably hadn't fully mm-hmm. thought of that. People don't, um, don't have buy-in for, um, for those things or when they go, they may be afraid of if you're undocumented, you're afraid of yep. getting reported. Right. Like, especially now with all the ice rates and whatever, like I wouldn't, if I was an undocumented person, I wouldn't go, you know, no. to the doctor and, and report that. There are um, some things that may disqualify. I mean, the other issue is healthcare is so fucked up that having certain things or pre-existing conditions may disqualify you for care. Um, so if you're worried about disclosing the number of sexual partners you've had or like risky behavior that you're engaged in because you're afraid it may disqualify you from getting medical services or getting pharmacare, um, then like, of course, like, it's rational. It makes perfect sense that someone wouldn't come forward with that information and willingly disclose um, some of the behavior that they're engaged in. And that happens here as well. It happens all the time that people, um, and that's why we're now having a conversation, rightly so, about uh, decriminalizing all drug, all drugs. Um, you know, the NDP are behind it. Liberal parties behind it, but Justin Trudeau isn't behind it. But the the whole idea is that when people go, they don't report what drugs they're using. They'll they'll maybe report that they smoke pot, but they're not going to report that they are engaged in other riskier mm-hmm. drug use. And then because they know that the doctor is taking notes, they know that they may have a reporting requirement. They know that if they get in trouble with the law, that their you know medical records could become part of that or or whatever else you're exposing yourself every time that you report that's 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 the sense and i think people who are over policed which are poor people and racialized people and lgbtq people uh from those people from those communities understand like are understand that they're being policed all the time they're closer to the state than affluent people are a rich a rich or middle class or white person doesn't think about the state in the same way you go to your doctor, you get what you, you know, you go to the, your, your chummy with your doctor, you ask them to write you prescriptions that you want, that you want given, yeah. you know, you're not, you're not like, 
you, you pretty much are like self-directing your own health care. And that's it. You got your prescription. It's paid for by your insurance. You go home. You never think about it. You don't interact with police. You mm-hmm. call police on other people. And, like, <laughs> you know, you're not getting welfare. You're not getting government services. You're not checking in with social workers. Yeah. You, you don't have the state like hanging over you all the time and i say that as someone who believes in public services but if you're poor it's because you're monitored and you're watched and it's it's a matter of like do you get your you know um do you get your like food stamps Do you get your social assistance with the next month or if you report that you know you may be engaging in risky behavior or if you're engaging in sex work you're not reporting that because mm-hmm. you don't you don't want to be called out for criminal activity that's exactly and then right. like take and then have your social assistance but taken that's away why places like planned parenthood and and you know organizations like that are so important for sure and they they bridge that gap they are your community workers and i don't know how many times we have to say once you reduce funding and you reduce um those organizations this shit happens Mm -hmm. because of everything that you Mm -hmm. and Aaron have talked about and um, you know like this idea that we don't want to fund you know Planned Parenthood because they do abortions yeah they do like maybe that's like what three percent of what they actually do this is the work that they do Mm -hmm. and this is the work that if we don't and I use Planned Parenthood as an um, no, like it's a great umbrella organization. Oh, they're, they're, they're the largest organization. They're the largest one. They're the ones that are yep. in the news. They're the ones. And so, and I, I, I make this argument all the time. Like, do you understand the work that they actually do? Do you understand the consequences of they're taken out of the equation? And most people don't. These are the consequences. Well, and this is kind of a conversation to bring it back to the Ontario provincial election when with the liberal um, sex ed curriculum and how the progressive conservatives want to basically tear it all down and go back to the old curriculum, which was had been used for 20 years. So we want to have regressive views on sexual health in Ontario because it makes people uncomfortable to talk about and they don't think that their kids should know that you know, they can catch an STI from yeah. anal sex. And that was one of the examples in this this article is that, like, kids didn't know that mm-hmm. anal sex could give them an STI. Yeah. Which is yeah, that's huge. crazy. Yeah. Stay tuned for Rent and Receipts. <laughs> now moving on to Rent and Receipts. This is where we each bring a story or... Tweet storm or something to share with the <laughs> others. Amy, what do you got this week? Okay, so this week in Ottawa Magazine, um, or I guess a couple weeks ago now, so there is an article printed about um, a neighborhood that I've recently moved into. So I've taken uh, great offense to this article and would love to share it with you. Uh, the uh, writer is writing, um, the piece is called Where to Buy Now, Chitalia, A Neighborhood in Transition. She's writing about uh, her home that she bought on Booth Street here in Ottawa in a neighborhood uh, or, uh, that, I guess, she argues straddles Chinatown and Little Italy and says, uh, she calls her hood, I'm so quoting this, this is not me saying this, Chitalia, which is what she's come to call this, like, you know, in-between place. This was not the first time I've heard Chitalia 
Just well, this is definitely out. the first time I've heard. Oh Chai-tai-ya. no, I know a number of people who call it chai tai. I don't care for that at all. Mm. No, <laughs> no. So she's like writing about how she has this hundred twenty year old house. She moved in and thought like, what a steal! They're getting so much space. They would never move to the suburbs, but it's been one disaster after another. Um, you know what with um. She, she. I guess they, the realtors called it a uh, neighborhood in transition, which I learned is code for some nice homes sandwiched between meth labs and halfway houses. Um, she, you know, says all everyone in her family warned her against living there, uh, how difficult it would be. She goes on to bemoan that it is legit sketchy. Uh, in the nine years I've seen Chitalia gentrify. Um, and now, you know, homes are, are starting to, to go up in cost. And so when I walk my dog around the neighborhood, I see new roofs, windows, front porches being installed on houses as old as mine. I see more people pushing strollers than dime bags. Instead of seeing stained mattresses out, out on garbage day, I'm seeing flat screen TV boxes and meal kit delivery containers. And uh, this is great for her. Uh, she's so quite excited Ottawa. about it. She says, Tritalia has, still has a long way to go before it rivals the cachet of neighborhoods Westboro and the Glebe. I chain down my lawn ornaments. Not a week bo- goes by that my dog and I don't have to walk the str- into the street to avoid uh, chattered beer bottles on the sidewalk. So anyway, pretty pretty repulsed that I share a, uh, <laughs> I was going to say zip code. We're not Americans. Postal code with this lady. Um it's just so upsetting, I think, that somewhat, and, it, you know, it goes on. There's a lot of detail in there. And, and of course, she does, you know, talk about the character and the liveliness of, of Chinatown. But, um, you know, is can't wait for it to be like Westboro. It's like, but first of all, yeah, she's excited that she got in on the ground floor of this neighborhood mm-hmm. in transition. Mm-hmm. And, like, she's going to reap a lot of benefits when the LeBreton Flats project is done and all these other things. She can't wait for it to be like Westboro. But then is like has not not an empathy like none of what she writes is at all with any empathy or or let alone irony and like no concern for her actual neighbors but can't wait for the new richer neighbors to move in and pay 700 for the house she spent 350 on or whatever the whole article is very bizarre to me because i didn't understand what the point was like what was her thesis it was basically a personal essay on I bought my house and people told me not to and now it's the neighborhood's gentrifying and but I still feel bad about it well I like unsafe about she it. feels unsafe but she I think she's saying like I think this is like a call for other white women to move into her neighborhood the article, oh she's calling people in she's is she? calling, yeah She's like, come save me from all the riffraff. If enough of us move here, maybe it'll get better and we can have a fancy neighborhood too. Like it's, it's a where it's like in the where to buy now section of the neighborhoods column in Ottawa magazine. Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if some like developer was like backing her. (laughs) Like it's just very bizarre, but it's definitely like. This is a neighborhood that's on the up and up. If you want to get in on the ground floor, now's the time. And when more of us are here, then well, it's like also her idea of neighbor is like really distorted. Like the person who runs the meth lab is also your neighbor. Show some respect. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, she doesn't show any sort of respect or awareness for the, the community around her. Like she doesn't say she basically says that she picked the area because it was convenient and cheap. Yeah. Yeah. Not because yeah. she liked 
that it was going to be um, she could have a hand in helping shape the community because no. it was, um, you know, in transition or that she cares about her neighborhood that much to even mm-hmm. participate in that instead of just mm-hmm. saying like, oh, there's broken glass. Yeah. Like it's also rent isn't that much in that na- neighborhood. So you're probably also getting a lot of students. I think it's a gr- like, I mean, it's a cool neighborhood because it is mixed. That's what makes it yes, great. That's what makes it awesome. Um, and I, yeah, and I find it just like really just so alarmist, like the way and I and I've heard other people since I've moved into the neighborhood and before that, and a lot of people live around there who like talk about, you know, the she does mention like a, a shooting or, or stabbing and like police being called. I'm like, that's the reality, first of all, for like 90 percent of the world. So I, like calm yourselves. But I like, live, yeah, I live in a nicer neighborhood, I guess you could say. But there was still a shooting a few months ago, t- like three blocks away. Yeah, yeah. Like it doesn't matter. You can't. You can't. You like, can't hide out it. from that shit. It's oh. a city. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> also, when I was in DC once, there was a shooting uh, half yeah. a block away. The gunshots woke me up. Yeah, yeah. I saw some shady shit when I lived in DC. But <laughs> I mean, we sh- you should feel fortunate. We live in a country where gun violence isn't that rampant, and like yes. nothing. Like you were unharmed. Like. You know, people responded to those situations like you're in an area where you can access services so readily. Like, I think this is exactly the type of cottage people that Julie Black was <laughs> talking about. Cottage this cottage, this cottage <laughs> cluelessness. Oh, so sorry. I just want to say, like, when you say cottage people, I just picture like a co- like a picture of a cottage, like on a house, like on feet with arms <laughs> <laughs> like if you were to draw like a poster like, like a when you're like selling I mean, the Oompa Loompa song. as an aside i remember being in guides and we had to do like draw posters to sell our like girl guide cookies and i drew a box with arms and legs and eyes and that was my poster it was like a box person so that's what <laughs> it was like a happy meal yeah exactly <laughs> so yeah i mean these clueless um privileged white people that just permeate Ottawa and you know I it just it it the whole piece reads as though the riffraff is moving out so come on in Mm -hmm. and you're just like "Mm, those are people and you're displacing them from their homes so have some fucking idea of what like it's just so Becky it is so Becky this entire fucking article and there's a like this cluelessness this Taylor Swift cluelessness (laughs) that just it's it's like they were where it's so Mm self-absorbed and so self-centered and she doesn't want to actually build a community she doesn't want to actually build a sort of um experience of living and connecting with Mm -hmm. people she just wants everybody who's not like her to get the fuck out so that people who are exactly like her can become the fuck in it makes me wonder how she chooses if she's a manager somewhere and she hires people is that what she does too because that's my question because this is just an attitude now that's just disgusting oh sorry i I believe she works for our national broadcaster but that's neither here nor there the it, like yeah it's, it's completely ignorant about i mean just no attention turned to look maybe you have some criminal criminality happening where you live maybe there are people with substance use issues maybe there are people who are under housed or what have you 
the solution to that isn't developers coming in and like building new like new homes in the area. So let's and it's not like fancy new storefronts. But does she feel unsafe because of actual violence or perceived violence or does she feel unsafe because of unsavory characters who just are people who happen to be poorer than her. But I think, like, regardless... No, 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 for sure. It's mostly the second, but probably part of the first. But but the second informs the first, right? Yeah, for sure. So this is my point, is is that this idea of her safety is built up around people who are just not... At, at the same economic scale as she is. Right. And that's discriminatory. For sure. And, and then how and do you the, address that? She has not turned her mind to that. Well, she has no interest. She has people. no interest in, in, in like being concerned about that. She's like, you know, happy to boast to family from the suburbs about the like interesting, you know, streetscape of Somerset at certain times, but wants none of the like any like anything associated with being in the downtown. Um, and living in a mixed income neighborhood. I can't afford the glee. But can't, can't afford the glee. Because that's, at the end of the day, she can't fucking afford the people she wants to she wants to hang out with. Mm-hmm. That's at the end of the day. So she wants to convince other people. See, so this yeah, no, a thousand percent around yeah. her. Yeah. Okay. And what she wants. So she wants to displace people so that she can feel better around people of her ilk because mm-hmm. she can't really afford to live amongst that's people right. that she right. wants to live with. <laughs> that's Get right. the fuck out of here. <laughs> that's why I hate the glebe. I hate the glebe. I hate old Ottawa South exactly for this reason. Because of this fucking mindset. Yeah. Okay, I'm done. I'm done my rant. <laughs> I'll go. <laughs> You're broke, bitch. <laughs> okay. So my rent and receipts this week is kind of, uh, I'm going to throw a little wrench into your paradigm. Yay. Um, so I don't know if you noticed, <laughs> but there is an increasing number of Asian mean girls in entertainment. So, of course, hmm. the most notorious mean girl is Regina George from Mean Girls. You know, we've got Blair Waldorf. Blair. You know, we've got Sharpay from High School Musical. Love High School Musical. <laughs> I used to watch High School Musical all the time. <laughs> Never saw it. Also, side note, did you know that there is a very deep place on YouTube where there is a lot of dubstep remixes of High School Musical songs? Oh, yeah, that really? checks out. Yes. Now I'm interested. Yes. <laughs> it is very bizarre. Um, so <laughs> maybe check that out. Um, but now we've got, uh, you know, Asians are typically represented in entertainment as the overachiever. They're meek. They're, you know, hmm. the perfect immigrant person, the, the best friend, the sidekick. But now in shows like, uh, the princess protection program on the Disney channel, um, we've got the Broadway adaptation of mean girls, um, where the Gretchen Wieners character is played by a Korean girl mm. who actually just got nominated for a Tony Award. Very cool. And, uh, you know, we've got uh, a or- YouTube Red original series called Youth and Consequences um, where the the mean Queen Bee is played by uh, an Asian girl. And so we're getting rid of that, that trope that mm. Asians are always nice and overachievers and that they can play more complex characters um, that, you know, are real. Mm -hmm. And 
I think that, you know, as we've seen with, you know, the upcoming um, Ocean's 8, we've got um, Aquafina, who is going to be playing one of the main roles. And Aquafina is also going to be in Crazy Rich Asians this summer. Mm-hmm. And I just read a profile about Aquafina on BuzzFeed. And basically, she was just like saying that it's really great for Asian characters or Asians to be able to play more, play characters with more depth. And so now, mm-hmm. Aquafina specifically, um, when she is looking for a part, she doesn't want to play a character, or an Asian character that is just window dressing mm-hmm. she what she does is she does a search for how many times the character gets to speak and participate and be a full person rather than just like in the background mm. of a scene so she doesn't really necessarily care about what the character's motivations are and the type of person they are but wants to be able to put a face an asian face onto that role um so i think it's really great that we're seeing um Asians playing a variety of different roles in entertainment. Um, and this this Teen Vogue piece goes into, you know, the Nelly Yuki character mm. from Gossip Girl. And the actual um, the actual character was supposed was described as beautiful and sexy without much effort, supremely confident and carries around a stack of books as tall as the Rockies, again without effort. She's the ultimate overachiever, a double Merit Peabody Scholar plays four instruments, etc., but is only but is Blair's only real competition. So the actress who was cast for this role was very excited because she, yes, she was an overachiever, but she was also sexy and effortless mm-hmm. and and a competitor for one of the main characters. But then when she showed up on set, yeah. uh, the costume department ended up just giving her a pair of glasses, and they kind of changed yeah. the character. Yeah. I was gonna say, meek. I was like, whoa, that doesn't sound like Nelly Yuki at all. Yeah. <laughs> Um, oh so, fuck that sucks so the, yeah they that kind of was a so bait and switch better. bait and switch wow but they did give Nelly Yuki a boyfriend and she was redeemed in the end in yes. the last season she gets like she gets to yeah I have no idea what she you're talking about Gossip right Girl the greatest show of our time well it's so good. I'm a big OC fan. Oh, I'm torn. I, I can't decide between the two, but fair. That's a good that's a good competition. Anyway, so yeah, I just think that uh we should continue pushing for representation of non white people to mm. play more complex characters in media. In general, yeah. I mean <laughs> like white people can be the only ones complex. That's just a joke. And it's a joke because people of color face a lot more um, like struggles, even the rich ones, mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. know, in in a white country. So th- th- like the fact that <laughs> and they're not always racial. Sometimes it's like, you know, navigating cultures. Right. Yeah. And um, the fact that like I'm 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 really, really happy that in this day and age that we're seeing more complex characters and more more power too especially Mm -hmm. with asian representation because yes you know black people have been fighting for you know this kind of thing for years but i really do think there's been like a a a necessary movement Mm. for especially um asians to become a part of the fabric of North America, mm-hmm. even though a lot of times they've been here longer than a lot of white people. Mm-hmm. And so 
um i'm all for it like mm-hmm. To be honest, if we can expand, just because I don't want to watch the same shit all <laughs> the time. God, I know. Also, if we can like not make white stories and then just put people of color as the characters, that'd be nice too. Yeah, because it ends up erasing all other levels exactly. of identity and like exactly. Yeah, exactly. And and you're right. Like I think for not all racialized people, but for some who have are navigating different cultures and like and also navigating like the predominant white culture. Yeah, it's like one like the, like the level of perception and like awareness of human behavior like that just makes for great acting and like a great background yeah. and like uh, the ability to transition from different audiences in your own personal life is like a huge um a huge advantage that yeah. like even to, to insight and like perception that's like invaluable for for that level for for more sophisticated levels of acting yeah um and and storytelling and story writing as well right um like we're observing human behavior in in different ways than um you know someone who was born into accepting the like dominant culture and not having to question it and not having to work like with you know um different points of tension that's that's why i wish feminism were more like that too because I think that there are different um, ideas of what constitutes, um, you know, there are different ideas about dating. There are different mm-hmm. ideas about just, like, interacting with mm-hmm. men. Um, some are more or less emphasized, depending on who you are and what your intersectional intersections are. But we're still... Um, we're still almost, I feel like we have a feminist terms of conditions that is based on the white society Mm. to be able to enter the space. And, um, I, I, it's wrong. Mm. It's wrong because a lot of us have a lot more to navigate than what they do. Mm -hmm. So my written receipts has to do with, um, the subtle sexism of your open plan office. So uh, researchers in England studied the process of a local government moving its 1,100 employees from a series of traditional office to one big open office over the course of three years in the UK. The new office had all the markings of a typical open plan, office glass everywhere, identical desks for everyone, and collaborative group spaces with the intention of breaking down hierarchies and encouraging employees to engage with each other more. While some female employees felt like the new office space promoted equality, others had the opposite reaction. The researchers found that many women became hyper aware of being constantly watched and their appearance constantly evaluated. (coughs) Multiple women told them that there isn't anywhere that you didn't feel watched. Mm. Of the men interviewed, there was no evidence they felt similarly or changed their actions as a result of the lack of privacy. This kind of all-glass, no-privacy environment leads to a subtle kind of sexism, where women are always being watched and thus judged on their appearances, causing anxiety for many employees. One woman named Pat told the researchers that the men on her team used to mark the attractiveness of young women coming into their open offices for interview. Visibility enabled these men to judge and rank women according to their sexual attractiveness, just like men on nudist beaches. 
Conscious of male eyes, some women began to dress differently. Without an architectural layout that indicated their place in the office hierarchy, they began to rely on their clothing to signal to other people whether they were important or not. Not only were women's physical appearances up for judging, the open office also meant that there was no private spaces where workers could go if they were emotionally distressed or needed a to conduct a private conversation. Perhaps it's no coincidence that all the designers of the workspace were men. Hmm. It seems as though like open work plans have been around for a few years now and in theory they seem like a good idea because you want to have people share ideas more freely and whatever and interact with people they wouldn't otherwise. But uh, it turns out they're actually garbage for everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, people are saying that it's actually horrible for productivity. Mm. And now it's, there's, you know, a sexism uh, built into that structure. So I don't necessarily think that like a very structured workplace with like doors and walls and everything, people segregated like that is the answer. But I think we need to find a, better way to do this we need to find a balance yeah it would be nice if fucking all offices had some access to sunlight first of all (laughs) yes that's that's huge thing um and i could see where an open office concept was sold really well but it's also sold on the interactions of men not in a mixed workspace Mm mm-hmm so the interactions of men are used as a, uh, a basis for design. And as usual, everybody else's experiences are ignored because men are the white males are the baseline. I just I I found this really interesting, obviously. Well, there's just interesting stuff here. Mm-hmm. But this is I found it interesting that clothing became mm-hmm. The um, the way to to express some sort of authority. Yeah, that was hmm. for women. Mm-hmm. And it just goes to show how important fashion is. It's not just about I want to look this way. It is a really, really powerful indicator with without saying a word. Mm-hmm. And um, so some also in the article, they said, you know, women had different reactions some dressed up some dressed down some wore more makeup to be to be noticed some wore less makeup to be to hide Mm. um and but i really do like the anxiety portion like anxiety yeah that extra it sounds like my worst fucking nightmare it's like you know when you have like a big meeting or a thing that you have to do yeah i spend more time sometimes it feels like thinking about how I'm going to ap- like physically appear at those things and what I'm going to say when I get there. Like I'm so sensitive to it. I couldn't imagine living every day under that. Yes, I totally agree. I think there is no more oppressive place for women than the office. One, because of climate. So like it's Ugh. always so cold and you're always wearing a sweater. Yes. Like, sometimes I just want to wear a sleeveless dress. And wearing a blazer is constricting all the time. So I want to just wear the dress or the shirt or the blouse without having to also wear a scarf or a blanket. Because we're not wearing a full suit like men do. Yeah. 
And Period. also, I want to be able to go to work and dress nicely because I have a meeting because, you know, for a purpose without people saying, why are you dressed up so nicely oh, today? Oh, God, yeah. Oh, it's and so you know what? Sometimes I, do, all the time. sometimes I do yeah. that because, you know what? It's fucking nice out and I, I want to like wear being fancy. Yeah. I want to wear my I face. Feel fucking yeah. fancy. Yeah. How about that? Look good, feel good. Yeah. Like, how about that? How I about feel you mind your own fancy. fucking business? Yeah. yeah. Oh, do you have an interview today? You know what? That's really none of your business. People are so fucking nosy. They are. And then, or or they, or other women make these snide remarks. Yeah. Because they just decide to roll out of bed. So no other woman can fucking, you know, put herself together in any sort of, hmm. oh, oh, you're so colorful. Yeah. yeah. As though it's a must be nice to term. Have, must be nice to have all that time to get ready. You know what? Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. We all make fucking choices. Yeah. You chose not to. Yeah. That was my biggest pet peeve in law school because I, I first of all, it's an open book exam. So like take a chill pill. But I would go like dress like a normal day to exams and everyone else is like, you know, in like whatever sweatpants, sweatpants pajamas. And people would always comment about, like every exam without <gasps> fail. Like, oh, like I can't believe. And it's like, yeah, I wasn't studying this morning because that's dumb. Like if you're studying the morning of the exam, like you fucked. Like if you go to court and you like you're, you're planning to be a lawyer, like you're not like you're definitely gonna have to robe up. You're going to have to get dressed. You're going to have to do your hair the morning of your trial like you're not just gonna like roll in sorry your honor i had to wear sweatpants i like <laughs> was up all night prepping this case last minute and um, <laughs> i just had a vision of like annalise keating showing up to court in like, sweatpants <laughs> could you imagine oh my no, that gosh. shit won't fly in she fact you'll get tossed out for not body. looking like presentable so which i mean whatever you should be able to wear what you want but it's just rude to comment otherwise like if i want to put in some effort and it's also people are femme shaming like that's really the core of it people femme shame okay here's this wear what you want bullshit that's been permeating i discussions all over the place it's a yes but (sighs) exactly it's a yes but Okay, if you show up, no, you can't show up for sweatpants in sweatpants every day for work. No, no you can't. No. no. Well, or a crop top. Or a crop top. Like, there are <laughs> limits, okay? Uh-huh. Like, the amount of, of, like, hoodies I used to see at work was disgusting. Yeah, I have a hoodie at work. Like, I used to keep a hoodie at my desk because, like, it was fucking it cold was in the cold. office. Yeah, 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 that's the it only reason. I had a cashmere one. Um, so, <laughs> but, but the amount of, like, what's that? What's that gap? Got no favorite. Oh, um, um, Hardy, Ed Hardy. Oh, Those Ew. fuckers used to wear like, like not that got no people are fuckers, but the, the ones who used to wear Ed Hardy to work. Those fuckers <laughs> used to wear Ed Hardy to work. And it was just so inappropriate. And I was just like, <sighs> so no. Yeah, you can wear whatever you want. But the impression that you give, make sure that you recognize what that is. Now, there's a limit to that impression, too, because as we were saying, there's this impression that if you dress up nicely, that somehow like there's like there's this hate, this femme shaming Mm -hmm. that happens on the other side. Mm -hmm. So like there's a there's a happy medium there. Mm -hmm. But. 
I think the idea of the surveillance state yeah. that has that has grown over the past because now we have you know the state is using the tools that we have to do it is just re-emphasized in the office as like people being policed in the office by your coworkers, by management, how you dress, how you work, whether or not you wear fucking headphones when you work, all of that now is because of the open office plan is being used against you mm-hmm. in like a performance review. You know what I mean? Like your actual the actual perception of your work is now encompassed with the the way you tap on the on your desk or whether or not you listen to music because now people can watch you mm-hmm. yeah like and women are always more scrutinized more more heavily than men so it affects women disproportionately to men is what i'm saying mm. totally yeah all right so that does it um as a reminder we do have Some patron-only podcasts. We have an interview with the Attorney General of Ontario, Yasser Nakvi, about reproductive rights for women in Ontario. And we have one coming out this Hmm. week. Very excited about it. So stay tuned for that. You head to patreon.com slash badandbitchy to become a patron. And $5, just a latte, will get you access to those. Um, You can follow us on social media on Twitter at badandbitchy on Instagram at Bad and Bitchy Pod, on Facebook.com slash Bad and Beat Podcast, and email us. A bunch of you have been emailing us with questions and to promote your events, and it's been great. And uh, we will get back to you, and you can just, just do it. Email us, badandbeatpod at gmail.com. Also, if you have questions for our Dear Bitches column, we'd love to hear that too. those two. Let us answer your feminist questions Based questions and yeah cool talk to you guys later bye, bye. 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 bye.